Hey everyone, welcome back to Message from Serenity's podcast, the podcast that inspires you to live in your best version, mentally, physically, and spiritually. I'm your host, Tiara. So in today's episode, I'm continuing the segment to inspire more growth and development in the Black community by highlighting and recognizing Black entrepreneurs in the Los Angeles area. And in today's episode, we have none other than Whitney Beatty joining us. CEO and founder of Josephine and Billy's. So Whitney Beatty is a thriving entrepreneur based in Los Angeles, a former successful reality television executive turned cannabis consumer. Whitney opened the first dispensary focused on women of color in America called Josephine and Billy's, which focuses on recreational and medicinal needs for women of color. This cozy tea pad offers flowers, pre-rolls, concentrates, topicals, apothecary jars, and a variety of edibles. Her work has been featured in places like Forbes, LA Times, New York Times, among others. And additionally, Whitney uses her voice to speak on issues regarding social equity. Oh my God, so much. Thank you so much for this. You know, um, when I was doing my research last year on different um, Black companies and businesses that I wanted to connect with, I saw yours and I immediately said, I wanted to connect with this sister because for a couple of reasons. One, I love me some good, you know, cannabis. <laughs> and, <Don't> second, <laughs> yes, and secondly, I just love the concept of Josephine and Billy's and its mission and what it stands for. And so uh, the first time I met you, it was um, for an event that you did with Ball Family Farms. And it was my first time, too, in the space, which it was it was epic. And I didn't really get, get a chance to speak to you, but it just seemed, it felt right. And I felt at home and everything was so beautiful and it was just comfortable for me. And so when I did more research, I'm like, I definitely have to connect with this sister and so. I've been persistent and it's paid off. So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to grant me this interview. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Mm. Yes. And so um, I didn't know, but the last time I saw you, you mentioned that you were from Detroit. I am. So I'm, I'm from Chicago. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> where, where are you from in Detroit? Um, I was born in, in literally in Detroit um, on the West oh. Side. Um, and I lived there until I was um, 10. And then I moved up to Grand Rapids in Michigan. And I went, I got my um, bachelor's degree at Michigan State. Nice. Oh my God. And see, that's another reason why I said I wanted to have you on because, um, I mean, we're both from areas that are, I guess, you know, that, that doesn't really cater to people becoming entrepreneurs. And so a lot of times, I feel like I hear people saying that, you know, the system is not made for us to succeed or there's some sort of excuse of why you cannot be successful. And although there is some truth to that, that's only a barrier. But, you know, we are stories to say that that is not that's not true and that you can do something and actually be successful for it. I mean, we both made it out of 
where we grew up from. So with that being said, what was your childhood environment like growing up? You know, did you have any role models or entrepreneurs that you looked up to? That's a good question. So um, my childhood, you know, when I was young in Detroit, I mean, I grew up in Detroit in the 80s, in the midst of the war on mm. drugs. Um, so it was tough um, when I was uh, younger. My parents divorced when I was um, nine or 10. Um, and they were both attorneys, but they were both young attorneys um, at the time. And my mom really wanted to do uh, legal aid work. Um, that was always her goal. Um, and so she worked for nonprofits almost her whole career until she went to uh, start working for um, the friend of the court in Michigan. Um, so I didn't necessarily see entrepreneurship from her. What I learned from my mom was about drive um, mm. about um, and also about taking care of yourself and making sure that you're um, that I worked hard. I, I learned that I need if I wanted something, I need to work hard for it. Um, but my mother told me always that I could do whatever I wanted to do. I could be whoever I wanted to be. And that was important. Um, my dad, on the other hand, um, uh, lived in Detroit as well. Um, and I got to see him start businesses. Um, you know, his regular uh, gig was as a corporate attorney. Um, but I saw him, you know, really work his way out of the hood um and start you know doing you know small things on the side he had a taxi medallion um and started that business and started nice. um uh flipping houses um and that sort of thing um and it really opened me up to understand that um that there are business opportunities that you need to take advantage of um and it really i think played into how i ended up in this space in understanding um uh, what he taught me about um you know you can make millions for other companies. And that's something that I had known that I'd done, you know, uh, in the work that I'd done previously in uh, the entertainment industry. Um, so I can make millions for other companies, but that doesn't mean they're gonna pay you millions. Because right. that's not something that you own. Um, and so ownership is important and ownership matters. Um, and I think that's what I got from him. Wow, and I, I love that because for you, and many people don't have it, is that you actually had parents who cultivated you with a business mindset and to say that you can work for someone and make them loads of money and you can make money doing it but that's not going to ever be your own and you're only making a fraction of what you could be making as opposed to if you actually owned it for yourself absolutely i mean and that that is a blessing my dad had his ba um, in um, business administration. So that was always his his thinking and then his mindset. And my mother had a heart for activism and advocacy. I mean, she knew that she couldn't, you know, as a single mother, couldn't afford to send me to private school. Um, and the only thing that she could think of to do was to join the school board so she could make sure that the public schools were good for me to go to. And so she literally ran for the school board and served on the school board in Grand Rapids wow. uh, while I was in Grand Rapids public schools in order to make her difference that way. So I can see how both, you know, that business mindset and how that advocacy came together for mm -hmm. me um, in my lifestyle. And um, it is a blessing. I, I have talked a lot to people about the idea of being second generation college, um, you know, that my parents, my mom and dad went to college. And so I got to get a little bit more insight to corporate America um, mm -hmm. and these sort of things because of that. And I don't think that sometimes we think or talk enough about those advantages that do happen when you got parents who have that sort of experience. Wow, that, that is absolutely 100% 
true. And so you were previously doing work in television. You had a thriving, successful career as an executive producer. And so what made you get interested into cannabis? Where did you do it when you were growing up or how did that come about and then opening the dispensary? So that was really weird because I didn't. Um, again, I grew up in Detroit in the 80s. Nancy Reagan told me to say no to drugs. I believed her. I didn't think Nancy was going to lie to me. Um, so <laughs> I didn't use cannabis in high school. I think I might have tried it once in college and I didn't really like it. Um, and so uh, what ended up happening was I was working in the entertainment industry um, and I, you know, I do development. Um, and so I was working these crazy hours where I was doing day part, um, in the daytime I do my development work and I was still story producing on a show that we did. So I'd be there till two, three o'clock in the morning and turn around and be back the next day at eight. Um, and you know, you're still kind of broke at that time. And so you're living on Red Bulls and coffee and all the things <laughs> in the coffee, in the coffee room. Um, and I was sitting at my desk and I started having heart palpitations. I was having chest pains, um, numbness. I was dizzy. Um, I thought I was having a heart attack. I thought I was dying. Um, and yet, because I'd worked so hard to get into that position and to have that opportunity, I did not want the people at work to see me die. I didn't want to die there at mm -hmm. my desk. So instead of calling 911, um, I got, in, got downstairs, got in my car, drove, didn't tell anyone where I was going and drove to the UCLA Medical Center. Um, and left my car where the ambulance was parked because I guess if I'm going to die, I don't care if they tow my car. Um, oh my God. And I walked in and told them I was having a heart attack and I was dying. And so they rushed me to the back. You know, they take you in front of all the other uh, people there and they rush you to the back and they hook me up to the EKG machine. Um, and they're like, lady, you're not having a heart attack. You're having an anxiety attack. And I was like, I don't even understand what you're saying to me because I'm a type mm -hmm. A personality and we don't have anxiety. That's <laughs> Um, but they assured me that it was, um, and that I was, um, and that kind of changed the game for me because I needed to figure out how to deal with that anxiety. And they started putting me on all sorts of different medications and I didn't like any of them. I was also still young, um, you know, at the time, maybe late twenties. Um, and I didn't like the idea of having to be on a medication for the rest of my life. You know, I was real young for that. Mm -hmm. Um, and my doctor in an offhand comment was like, well, have you thought about cannabis? And I was like, oh, you know, for me at that point, time, you know, she could have been saying, have you thought about crack cocaine? Because, <laughs> you know, for me, drugs were drugs were drugs. And why is this woman trying to put me on the drug drugs? Um, and Nancy but, said to say no. <laughs> yeah. You know, Nancy told me she, she don't lie. Um, but what ended up happening was that was enough to pique my interest to do some research. Um, and I started doing my research on two sides. One was about the plant. And so I learned about cannabis. I learned about terps. I learned about CBD and THC. I learned about the entourage effect. And I was able to find a cannabis regimen that was able to pull me off those drugs that I didn't want to be on. Um, and it made a huge difference for me anxiety wise. Um, but maybe more importantly, I learned why I felt so negatively to begin with. And that really took me through a history lesson. I mean, you go back and you look at the war on drugs and you learn about what it did to your community and why you feel so bad when you've seen raids happen, you've seen what happens to your neighbors, you've seen what happens to family members, um, you know, and once you go to jail, that type of opportunities you miss out on, the job opportunities you miss out on, the opportunities for loans and grants and all those things mm -hmm. that don't even just pay the price for 
you, but for the generations after you. I mean, this yeah. is a great tie back into the idea of second generation college. Um, you know, what those opportunities are that are missed there. Um, but even more so, I think, you know, then I went back and found out about Harry Anslinger, who was responsible for prohibition. He was the head of the mm -hmm. uh, Bureau of Nar Narcotics um, back in those days. He went to 30 different doctors and asked them if cannabis was dangerous. And one of them said yes, and 29 of them said no. Um, and mm -hmm. he went with the one that said yes. Now, mind you, we're talking about a time where cannabis was more widely used than Tylenol. Um, and mm -hmm. the basis of his hatred for cannabis really came from racism, um, mm -hmm. the deep seated, long lasting racism, which is how he ended up connecting it to reefer madness. Um, and one of his direct quotes was reefer makes darkies think they're as good as white people. Mm. So, I mean, it, he literally said that, um, and he's got other quotes that, um, I think it's a hundred thousand, um, marijuana smokers in the US and most are Negroes, uh, Filipinos, Hispanics and entertainers and their evil music, um, you know, jazz music makes um, uh, and the drug makes white women want to sleep with black men. It was that wow. sort of attitude, that sort of, you know, feeling that he basically permeated um, with his friend um, uh, Hearst who own tons of papers, and then you end up with Reed for Madness. Um, I mean, you get to see a little bit of his story in the Billie Holiday movie, where you see that he's the person who's um, persecuting her and, and chasing her down. Um, mm. But he really was, you know, very, very racist. And he really, um, Billie Holiday was one of the people that he harassed. She was basically um, the, I'd say like the cell phone camera of her time because mm -hmm. Billie Holiday was coming up to the North and singing Strange Fruit about lynchings uh, to people who were not getting that information. You know, they did not know what was happening in the South and she was going up to tell people what was happening through her song and she could get, you know, the, the house packed filled with white people um, who now were like, what the hell is happening down South? <laughs> he was like, you know what, you're gonna have to shut up. Um, and he started harassing her, pulled her cabaret car, which meant she couldn't perform anymore. Um, and really uh, harassed her until her death at 44. And so that, that's, that's interesting because like, I didn't know about that story until you told me about it. And I was just like, that makes so much more sense because I know like my parents and you know, my aunts and everyone, like generations before they're all like, you know, cannabis is so bad. Like don't smoke it. There's so many negative things. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't feel that way when I smoke. And so, but there's a history behind it. A lot of people don't really know the real history about why, I mean, you know, cannabis has been demonized, like where it even comes from. Most people don't. And, and the community has a PTSD. When you've seen that, it makes people mm -hmm. really scared to touch the plant or try the plant. And that's why we make sure like at our store, we have this timeline that kind of goes through all those things so people can look mm -hmm. at it and talk about it. Because at the end of the day, cannabis was plant medicine for 3000 years and prohibited for 70. And mm -hmm. those 70 years caused all this stigma. But if we look at, in history, we can see that sway through women were using cannabis in childbirth in the 1400s. I mean, this plant is old and has a huge history of being yes. used for health, um, health issues. So once we have those conversations, especially with our elders, um, it really helps to pull them out of that stigma that they've gotten from, you know, living through 
the 80s and the 90s um, and hopefully open them up a little bit more to plant medicine. Yeah. And so for, it took you to get sick at work, like literally have an anxiety attack to be introduced to cannabis yep. through your doctor. And so that and it's just interesting how one thing leads to another, like you weren't planning on using cannabis, but through that, like you educated yourself, you did research and you found out all these different benefits of using the plant. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And, and I love that now you've taken it a step further and that you've opened the dispensary to help share this knowledge with other people. Well, my goal is for it to not be so hard for the next woman who needs to use plant medicine. I don't want them to have to go and do research from scratch. Um, hopefully, you know, they'll be able to come into our store, get all this information insight, and also have someone who can help lead them to the products that might make their lives better. Well, I think you guys are doing an awesome job. Whenever I come in the store, everyone's super nice and everything is neat and organized and i i really don't have to ask any questions <laughs> so that's you guys are doing here. awesome that's the goal <laughs> yeah you guys are doing awesome in that department so uh just going back to we we're talking about being black right okay so being black in america is hard right oh, yeah. but i feel like being being a black woman in business is harder <laughs> because we are women and then we're black on top of that so uh what difficulties have you faced um, just being an entrepreneur and then what advice would you give to black and brown women going into business for themselves? Interesting. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, you know, but entrepreneurship is hard. Um, being a woman in business is hard. Uh, being a black woman anywhere is hard. Um, so, I mean, I've touched on all of these things when I started my first company, Apothecary. Um, so that's how I entered the cannabis space was with Apothecary. We make sleek and sexy storage and humidity solutions for cannabis connoisseurs. Um, the idea is, you know, people keep wine in wine fridges, liquor and bars, cigars and humidors, but most people keep their high-end cannabis in a shoebox under their beds. Mm -hmm. Um, and we made beautiful storage solutions. Um, and so when I started that company, um, and started going out and talking to investors and telling people about it. I mean, I got feedback from people who told me straight out, um, no one is going to believe a luxury brand owned by a black woman. No one's going to buy your luxury goods owned by a black woman. It just doesn't make sense. That doesn't read luxury. Um, and I'm like, were these other black people or uh, these were mostly people? white people? White people who said that. My black people mm -hmm. um, told me that I was going to go to jail and I was going to get my kid taken away. Um, so you had negative feedback coming from both ends. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, from the black people it was more, they had a fear for me. I mean, these are people who love me and care about me, but they're like, you know, this, this cannabis stuff they're talking about, that's for white guys. You going to end up in jail. Uh, wow. Watch your back. Um, so I got a lot of that, that I had to, you know, overcome on both sides. You know, um, I believe that my product stood on its own and was luxury. Um, because that's, you know, that's our price point, but that's also the quality that we put in. And the other part, you know, for my, you know, my black people and a lot of, you know, family members was if this was the end of prohibition and someone said, Hey, do you want to start Jack Daniels? I would say yes. And for me at that time, which is 2015, 2016, I'm like, this is a huge opportunity, mm -hmm. um, in this space to build something that is not there yet. Um, and I'm going to take the leap, um, other places where, you know, being a black woman makes it hard is definitely fundraising within cannabis space. Having cash um, is is 
critical in order to build your business, in order to grow your space. But we're in the cannabis space, which is still federally illegal, which means I can't go to the SBA and ask for a small business loan. I can't go down to Bank of America and get a loan there. None of those options are open to us as cannabis um, businesses. So we're stuck in a space where we need to raise funds from angel investors, from VCs. Um, And that is, you know, extremely difficult on a lot of levels. It's, you know, knowing what that process is. What does that look like? How do you raise money from, uh, you know, from these people? What are the debt instruments that they use? And the other part of it is even having these people within your circle, you know, um, when you've got a community where you generally, you know, I I think the number for um, black wealth was somewhere in the $14,000, have, you know, $14,000 to their name. Um, that's not a place where you're, you find a ton of, you know, investors within your circle. So you need to go outside of your circle to find those people. Well, angel uh, investors tend to invest in people who remind them of themselves. Um, and they tend to be older white men. And there's not a lot of them that wake up in the morning and see a, you know, 40 something black single mother looking back at them. (laughs) I am. (laughs) very much different than who they are. And so I need to work a little bit harder to um, build those relationships to meet them because often, you know, 99.9%, I'm meeting them cold. I'm out of nowhere, you know, I'm Whitney and this is what I'm talking to you about. And I need them to be able to listen and hear me and believe in my ability to do what I say I'm going to do. And so that is hard to overcome. On the VC side, it's more of that as well. VCs are giving 2% of investment dollars to women. 2%. That is an abysmal number. But when you look at how much they're giving to black women, it goes down to 0.0006%. It is horribly small. Um, And if you're looking at the amount of VC dollars that are pouring into the cannabis space, it makes it incredibly hard for black and brown owned businesses to compete within this industry when everyone else is, you know, super well funded and has these long runways of millions and millions of dollars. And we're still living in a world where there are less than a hundred black women CEOs who have ever raised over a million dollars in a seed round. I'm like, and that's across all verticals. So, you know, being able to come up with the cash in order to build a business and sustain a business in this cannabis market, which is changing and evolving and is expensive to play ball in becomes a really yeah. But I mean, you've obviously you've come up with the cash and because start, like you said, starting a business is not cheap, uh, you know, for, for many people, you know, living in poverty, like you said, the average is black person is $14,000. Like some people don't even have that. And so uh, they don't have access to these immediate funds, nor do, like you said, they have knowledges about uh, financial investors. So uh, I know Jay-Z's company actually was the first investment for your company correct yes which is awesome and so i know that wasn't uh easy (laughs) to to be able to tackle down but you obviously you have knowledge and expertise on pitching people so what advice would you give to people on generating that seed money for their company and and why is that important um, the first thing I'd say is think outside of the box, and you know, because I, oh, I'm always quoting stats, I'm always quoting the numbers. It's really sad, but do it anyway. 
do it anyway, mm -hmm. because it's important that we do it anyway. It's important that we show up in this space. Communities of color were disproportionately disenfranchised by a war on drugs for years and in legalization. We are not participating in this industry on the rates that we should be. Um, the numbers have been varied, but they say it's less five to um, two to five percent of businesses within the space are black owned. Um, that is a in America. Um, yeah. And cannabis businesses. Um, the last number that I saw was 2%, 2% of cannabis businesses um, were black owned. And that's an abysmal number. So, you know, the first thing I'd say is do it anyway. The second thing I'd say is think outside of the box and, and the way that you enter the space. Um, and because when we're talking about entrepreneurship, I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm just, I'll quit my job and I'll start this business. But we tend not to do that because we understand that our bills are due on the 1st and the 15th. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like people don't have money sitting around so they can quit their job and wait for, you know, a couple years for this business to make money. That doesn't feel possible. Um, so layer it on, you know, when I started Apothecary, you do it on nights, you do it on weekends, you do it, you know, I'd be up to three o'clock in the morning writing business plans or whatever, getting that business ready, even mm -hmm. as I had a day job, even though I had these other things going um, and being able to balance it like that really did make a huge difference. Look at um, other ways that you can raise money. Think of crowdfunding. Now they have the ability to crowdfund um, within the cannabis space. That is a way that you can get small dollars from people. Can I, you know, I might not have someone who can give me $100,000, but maybe I have someone who can give me five. Maybe I have someone who can give me one. Maybe someone who can give me 500. If my idea is good enough um, or is interesting enough to people, that's a great way to be able to start bringing in that seed capital that you need to grow mm -hmm. it to the next level to be able to find um, another opportunity. For me, one of the things that was a game changer for me is I joined a business accelerator within the cannabis okay. space. Business accelerators, you know, their goal is to accelerate a business. Um, and for me, I have a bachelor's degree in theater. I have a master's degree in film production. None of that says business. None of that says, you know, understanding supply chain. Um, so me going through that business accelerator, it really was a 16 week MBA in cannabis. You know, it taught me what I needed to understand in regards to fundraising, dealing with investors, what my pitch debt should look like, what my KPIs are going to um, they're going to want to see how to talk to an investor, understanding that whole process going through and allow me to come out from there um, and raise the seed brown money that I needed so I could be prepared to be in those rooms. It also gave me a ton of contacts, contacts that I could pitch for you know for money but also people who i could ask when i had business questions i could spend you know three weeks running around trying to figure out who's going to do my payment processing who does payment processing for cannabis and what those prices should be etc but when i came out of there i was able to you know pick up a phone call phone and get that answer in you know 15 minutes um mm. it really does help you go faster and most um, accelerators also invest in your business so I got a cash investment uh, that helped us grow um, and allowed us to be able to launch that raise and raise the rest of the money. Oh my God, I love that. So many gems right there. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know what? Since your business too, it's in a, it's in a predominantly black community. You know, why, why was it important for you to open this business in an impoverished community? Um, a couple of reasons. As opposed to, you know, like, no you know, West LA. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> because, um, uh, number one, because that's who we're trying to serve. 
So, um, you know, if I'm trying to serve women of color and we're the first dispensary in the country to focus on women of color, I wanted to be in a community that featured women of color. Um, and that was easy for them to get to. You know, I could do that from Venice. I could do that from, you know, Beverly Hills, but that's not where, you know, the vast majority of those people live. I wanted uh, to be able to be in the community and to be a community hub um, in order to get that information insight to the people. So I thought it was important that we are there within the community. Um, Also, the idea of community reinvestment. You know, we talk about gentrification a a ton, um, but, you know, the other side of that is us being able to invest into our own communities and buy buy back the block um, and put money in and change the face of our own communities. And that was one of the things we had the ability to do with Josephine and Billy's. We took a a place that was an abandoned cleaners um, and did a complete remodel on it and turned it into something that not only we think is you know great for the community, but it, it looks nice. It helps bring up the other businesses nearby. Um, we have you know huge plans for you know that corner, um, and being able to be a part of what makes the community great, I think, is in- incredibly important. Um, it's also because we have um, you know our store operates on this triple A. Um, uh, philosophy. So it's about access, affordability, and awareness. Um, so we offer access to the community. You know, uh, a lot of our customers come in because they're walking, because they're in the neighborhood. Um, they don't have to drive, you know, 30 minutes to get their cannabis. They can come around the corner um, and get it, uh, you know, easily from us. It's about affordability, i.e., you know, uh, if I was on Melrose, maybe I could sell, you know, $90 AIDS. Um, but in our community, we want to make sure that they can get safe and legal cannabis at a price that is affordable. Um, I want you to be able to come in and find, you know, uh, we've got eights in store that are as low as $13 eights. So being able to find the plant that you need at a price that makes sense. You know, you might have a, a grandmother or an aunt who has arthritis so, and can't afford expensive prescriptions, but you can come into the store and buy, um, you know, a cannabis cream or a cannabis balm at a much better price um, and also get that information that you need in order to use it. Um, and then it's also about awareness. Um, again, you know, these communities of color often, you know, we, we have consumers definitely, but we also often have people who do have this PTSD or this reticence to try the plant. And um, for us, it's about being able to have um, you know, educational events in store can, you know, come over to tea and Terps where you'll have this cannabis 101 lesson and, you know, drink tea and eat crumpets with us. So awesome. (laughs) Um, you know, or being able to do things like our first Sunday where we have a party in our parking lot, um, every first Sunday and we'll have, um, different uh, events in store, whether that's, you know, cannabis Pilates, cannabis yoga, cannabis, um, we've had a sexual health um, uh, workshop. We've done game nights oh, nice. and like all those sort of things. And then in our parking lot, you'll find food trucks that are giving um, away free food. We have a vendor um, area where we allow black and brown um, vendors to come and vend um, on the property um, to give them an opportunity to sell their wares. Um, you know, and the store would have offers um, different sort of activations with our brands at the same time. So nice. really, you know, trying to bring up the community, give opportunity mm-hmm. uh, within the community um, and really connect as a, a good, um, you know, steward of, um, you know, our, our corner of the block. I love that so much. And this is why we need to highlight our businesses, because it's not just 
you know, we have a business, but people like you are actually giving back to the community and actually inspiring them to, to build as well so that we can have a stronger community. I love that. I love that so much. And, and that was going to be my next question is, you know, where we spend our money actually matters <laughs> because, you know, when, when you look at it, most of the, the black communities, you know, within the city, they don't have actual businesses that they own. And the, the, the businesses that are there are not really nourishing for the people, you know, wherever I go, it seems like any city, if I, I go to like a black neighborhood, you know, you've got your standard beauty supplies, you've got the, the chicken joint, you've got the liquor store, you got the church, but like what businesses are actually in the community that actually helps people. And so I love it that you, you have your business in the community that you do now, and that you're actually giving back to them. That's, and that is so that's awesome. Important. It's important to us. Yeah, and, and that we need to be uh, conscious also of like who we're doing business with. Because you vote with your dollars <laughs> every time you go and, and buy something or spend yeah. something. Um, and it really does matter because um, not only are, you know, when you come to Josephine and Billy's, you're not just supporting Josephine and Billy's. We prioritize putting black, brown, women-led and LGBTQ-led brands on our shelves. Um, and those are the brands within the cannabis space that have the hardest time finding shelf space and opportunity to sell. So you're not just supporting us, you're supporting these brands yes. and allowing them to be able to grow their businesses so you can find them at other places. Um, you know, I know it's easy for some people like, oh, I've been, you know, shopping at this big box cannabis store, or this one, that one forever, um, or what have you. But I do always recommend people give equity businesses a try. Um, you know, we mm -hmm. are from these communities. We really care about the people who are coming in our door on an everyday basis. You know, um, the way that it worked in Los Angeles is that these um, businesses that were there before us um, got grandfathered in. So they had lots of years head start on us. So we're already coming up from, you know, behind the eight ball. So it does matter for us every time we have someone come and patronize our business and tell other people, uh, you know, about it, that does help us, you know, get awareness out about what we're trying to do in the community. Yes. Oh my God. I love that. So, so much on so many levels, because I do, I do have me a spot where I, I do go and they, they do give me a good deal. But at the same time, I said, I have to support Josephine and Billy's. Even if it's not in my neighborhood, I'll still drive there because I want to actually support my people. So and it means a lot. Yes. It really does. It means a lot every time we see people come in, especially when we know that people are coming, you know, from further away because that matters to them. And that's why also for us, um, we make sure that Josephine and Billy's is a curated experience. There's a lot of places that you can go that are the Walmart of cannabis that have every and anything mm -hmm. on their shelves. For us, we don't put anything on our shelves that we haven't tried ourselves, that we don't love ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, because that's how I'm able to speak intelligently about that product to the people who are coming in. So we want it to be more of a boutique experience, um, knowing that the things that we sell, we sell because we believe in these products. We believe in these brands. Uh, we think this is the best of possibilities. We think that we've worked the best deals. Um, and that's what we're you know offering to our customer base. I love that so much that you, you've tried the stuff that you're actually selling and it's not just about making money. Like yeah. there's more that goes behind it. So, I mean, you can't obviously do business alone. You need a team. <laughs> um, you know, who is one person or maybe um, some, a couple of people 
that has contributed to your success and has been the backbone to redefine and, and actually help grow your business? And why is this important for entrepreneurs? Um, I definitely would say my business partner, um, Ebony McGee-Anderson, um, she came on board um, on Josephine and Billy's um, after I lost one of my first um, VCs. Um, and she has a skill set that is um, much different than mine, uh, which made it a great fit for her to um, uh, come on board. She is um, definitely, she's an urban planner. Um, so she had a lot of experience mm -hmm. with the government. She had a lot of experience getting, a, a, you know, licenses. Um, she had um, the experience going through planning um, and doing the build on, um, you know, on the place. So it became really a great fit for us to work together because the things that she does are things that I don't. Um, and so I think that it's really um, important when you're finding a partner or, um, you know, or someone else to work with you in business that you look at what your skill sets are you know you, you don't need to be the same people um you know the power is is having those different skill sets come together for the greater good um i think on apothecary i'd say um my head of ops uh, terry um had a ton of experience um on his end on um supply chain management uh he used to run blackberry and um had a lot of building um yeah he did a uh, supply chain management for them he used to um you know do a lot of factory work making sure that um that their factories were delivering on time working with the factory owners and the company making sure that parts arrived and all that sort of thing um mm -hmm. and that management skill that management set again another skill set that i did not have um so being able to bring T um terry on um and have him in charge of that definitely um yeah, saved my butt Wow, that, that's, that's so great to have people who you can not only trust, but like you said, um, people who don't necessarily think the same as you, but who can bring you know, different aspects into the business and help you kind of see things from a different viewpoint to help you to, to grow and get it to that next level. Absolutely. So with that being said, what vision does Josephine and Billy see for the African-American community through the T-pad? I mean, I think for us, what we're looking for with the T-pad, um, and let me back up for a second. A lot of people don't know what a T-pad is. So in, okay. in, during prohibition, um, you know, speakeasies were still segregated spaces. Um, and T-pads were where people of color and also white people could come together, um, smoke cannabis, drink alcohol, listen to music, um, and really connect. And the people that you found there, um, you know, some of the most famous were in, um, in Harlem during the Renaissance. So we're talking about authors and poets and musicians and singers and activists all coming together in the same space. Um, and really not only being able to enjoy these, you know, alcohol and, and cannabis or what have you, but really to be able to think big thoughts um, and come up with, you know, big ideas and have these great discussions because of the people that were in the room. And for us, that's what we want the store to be. We really want um, mm -hmm. us to be able to bring together people from all walks of life um, and be able to do cannabis education, really make people feel comfortable in their skin and also change the face of what cannabis consumption looks like. Um, I think that even in legalization, uh, what we don't see nearly enough positive images 
of black and brown people consuming play. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's always the bad kid behind the gym idea um, or someone who is, you know, not going to grow up to be much, you know, because you're a stoner. Um, and that's not indicative of the people that I know who consume cannabis at all. Um, you know, uh, so being able to build a community that reflects, you know, what I know and, and the, to be true, um, that there's so many amazing people doing so many amazing things um, surrounding this plant medicine. Um, I think that for us is the power of the tea pad. Yes, I love it. And I can second that because most of my best ideas occur when I'm high. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure there's a lot of successful people doing smoking or getting it however they can, whatever way that is. <laughs> so uh, just, uh, I have a little mystery question for you that I always like to pop in here just to kind of get off track a little bit, but what is something that a lot of people don't know about Whitney? Hmm, that's a good question. You can tell us whatever you want. It doesn't have to be too deep. But what's, what's something that, you know, we don't really know about? Um, I'd say the one that I think people always find surprising is the fact that um, I'm a league bowler. So that's like one of the things oh, that wow. I love to do. Um, so I bowl on, I've been bowling on leagues off and on since I was you know, 10 years old. Um, so I love bowling. I'm like that crazy nice. person who has like bowling uh, my balls and my, you know, <laughs> the back of the trunk. So just in case I find a bowling alley and I can take an hour and, you know. You carry your out. bowling balls with you? <laughs> Absolutely. And my own shoes. Um, oh, wow. So <laughs> I'm definitely a, a bowling nerd. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I'm like, I'll go to uh, Vegas for tournament time or whatever. I'm literally with my bowling balls on the airplane. Um, I can't tell you how many times I have shuffled those bad boys onto a Southwest flight to get over to Vegas. <laughs> what What's your favorite type of ball to use? Do you like the small ones or the, the I medium mean, I, size? I throw a heavy ball. So um, my ball is, um, my main ball is just um, above 13 pounds. And then I've got a backup ball that is um, just over 15 pounds. So my goal is always, wow. you know, depending on what kind of, you know, uh, how the lane is moving, how the uh, oil is out there, um, you have some opportunity to like switch between uh, the balls to see what's gonna uh, work well. Yeah, wow, super cool, who knew? Whitney likes the bowl, okay. <laughs> All right, so uh, just to wrap up our interview, uh, what is one piece of advice that you were given that you want to give to other entrepreneurs or people who are thinking about going into business ownership for themselves? Um, a piece of advice, let me think. Um, I, I've got two. Um, the first is um, a candle loses nothing of itself when it lights under other candles. Um, and I think that that's important because um, entrepreneurship is lonely and it is hard. Um, and I think that in order to be successful, a lot of times we need to come together. We need to, you know, start masterminding groups where we are able to share information and ideas. We need to be able to share uh, info for the next business that's coming behind us. Um, so, and I think that a lot of people are like, I don't, I don't tell anybody about my, it's so important. My idea is so great um, that I'm never gonna tell anybody about what I'm working on. And a lot of times it would be useful for these people to connect with others, to share information. And so I'm not telling someone what's in the secret sauce, but to be able to learn um, 
you know, new business techniques to, to learn how to get yourself out of situations that you haven't been in before. Being able to yeah. share information is, is critical. Um, and uh, the other one is, um, you know, from my mom, like you don't take no for an answer. You know, um, I, I hear no's all the time, but I can't let that change my drive or what I'm set out to do. So I collect those no's and I wait for my yes to come. Um, so for me, it's about constantly being able to find that drive within yourself Mm -hmm. to keep going, even when it's hard and even when it's moving slowly. And even when you've, you know, hit roadblocks, that's really what, at the end of the day, what the investors are also planning, um, you know, investing in. They, they, they say that investments are, you know, 30% about the idea and 70% about the entrepreneur and their belief that you can iterate and you can pivot and you can get the job done um, and, and not waste this money. So I think that that's critical. Okay. Those are awesome pieces of advice because, and I love that you mentioned the fact, you know, don't keep your business to yourself because, well, you're going to need other people to do business with for one, but then two, that, that does, it helps you to also connect with people and have a network. Yep. Yes. So thank you so much for this. Um, Can you just tell people how they can get in touch with Josephine and Billy's? Absolutely. You can find Josephine and Billy's online at www.josephineandbillies.com. You'll find us on Twitter at Billy sent me because that's our password. And you'll find (laughs) us on Instagram at Josephine and Billy's. Um, So please connect with us, you know, on our website, you'll find our events and things that we've got going. Um, You know, on our Instagram and Twitter, you'll find out our our current events. Um, And then for me personally, um, my Instagram is at the high mommy life. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, Whitney, for coming on here, taking time out to do this. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, peace, love, and blessings. Namaste.